Achieving success, being healthy and wealthy, and lifelong happiness is anyone's ultimate dream. In the grand scheme of things, self-doubt limits you from achieving great things. The path towards the zenith of success and controlling your life is at your hands. This is the Unlimited Influence. Reprogram your subconscious mind with Dr. David Snyder. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Lie to Me If You Dare. Uh, it's uh, our exploration. My name is David. I'm with NLP Power. Most of you already know who I am, but for our viewers at home who might someday, one day, see this, probably not. Um, <laughs> I've been involved in the study of human behavior, personality change, and all kinds of related disciplines for over half my life. Uh, I began the study, I should probably understand why are we talking, if, I, if I'm an NLP teacher, why are we talking about lie detection? Mostly because we spend most of our time lying to ourselves. Uh, for those of you who are in, how many people are actually doing kind of therapy work? I know kind of Dr. Nikki does. Doing or getting? <laughs> One usually winds up being the other. You know. But the truth of the matter is, in the hypnosis field especially, we have this thing called the presenting problem. And the presenting problem is the reason that the client shows up at your office, which is almost never the real reason they're there. You see, more often than not, the reason people think they're messed up isn't the real reason. But they need something to tell you so that they have a place to begin. Um, growing up, I didn't. Growing up, I, I was blessed with what we, we know in the health, health professions as a very sensitive nervous system. For those of you who are more metaphysical, I mean, it means I had empathy that was on overdrive. Combine that with the fact that I was a very naive, trusting young child, I spent a lot of time uh, feeling pain that wasn't mine and getting blamed for stuff that wasn't my fault. <laughs> Uh, and I was desperate because I had very poor social skills at the time. I was desperate for people to like me and want to spend time with me, which made me write for all kinds of dece deceptions and lies and you name it, I was the target of it. So I, I developed a very mild form of post-traumatic stress called hypervigilance syndrome, uh, which has different degrees to it. But hypervigilance syndrome, in its most fearsome form is people who just can't shut off the awareness, the sensory acuity. They, they're still, their senses are still as on an active hyper alert as, uh, as they were back in, in, in the field in, in not Vietnam or whatever war they're fighting in. Well, being the sensitive lad that I was, I became really, really focused on trying to figure out who were the enemies, who were the bad guys, who was lying to me, who was trying to abuse me, you know, those kinds of things. So my my early traumatic childhood gave us uh, gave way to a tremendous skill in the ability to perceive things that most people don't pay attention to, and to discern truth from deception. Now, that being said, I have to tell you that this particular field that you're going to go into uh, is not for the faint of heart. Okay, and the reason for that is is because there's, you can make a lot of mistakes. Also, if you want to be really good at catching lies, you got to be really, really willing to confront. And if you're not willing to confront somebody, a lot of the tools and tactics that professional lie detectors use are not going to be available to you. That being said, there's a lot of things that you can learn and that you can begin to incorporate into your, your daily ritual or things to pay attention to that will send up little red flags where somebody may or may not be, be lying to you. And keep in mind that as much as we like to think that all lies are bad, our society couldn't function without them. I mean, it, it's really true. Um, but the bottom line is, not only was I, did my early traumatic childhood lead me on this path, but my fascination with human behavior and human potential specifically kind of spurred me on and led me to two basic parallel career paths, influence and persuasion, as well as law enforcement. I was actually um, trained in kinesic interview and interrogation. I was going to be a criminal justice major, and then I looked at the stress level and the mortality rates of the average police officer and decided I probably would be better served <laughs> in a different line of work. But I was fully trained uh, to the degree I was at in kinesic interview and interrogation, and uh, it was one of the most fascinating fields that I've ever encountered. There is no place where the skills that you learn 
tonight or are at least exposed to tonight will not help you. The more attention you can pay to another human being, cross-contextually, the more information that they will give you and the more leverage and the more options you're given. In my systemic class, I tell people that the more range of motion that you have, the more your ability to move in any angle or from any position, the safer you become. The same is true here when we talk about the ability to perceive and become aware of human behaviors. Okay. Uh, to that effect, let's talk about a little bit about, um, I just want to, I know most of you from past meetups, but I just want to kind of go around real quick and kind of figure out how to target what we're going to do tonight to a specific topic or set of topics that are relevant to you, something you can take home and start using right away. So let's start with Super Lily back here hiding in the back. What do you want to, what do you want to take home from our lie detection exploration tonight? Well, obviously, I, I want to know that people are lying to me. Um, and you know, I'm not lying to you now. Why are you taking the class yet? Yeah, no. uh, see? <laughs> That's called a live omission. Go ahead. So, I mean, sometimes I feel powerless when I'm around people who are manipulating me by lying to me. Okay, so you. I sort of feel like they're lying, but if I knew, then I'd have a little more leverage. Yeah, let me ask you just, just not to get off point. I want to get through this as quick as possible because we have quite a few things that I want to cover. Remember that being aware of a lie is power, but it's what you do about it. If you know you're being lied to and you do nothing, you might as well not know. Right, but forewarned is forearmed. So yes, being having more power in, in any kind of interaction with a human being, trust me, this is power. Terma, what about you? I want to understand the difference between you know, people that are lying just to do the right thing or manipulate. It. So, okay. so um, good lies versus intention versus it. bad lies. Okay. okay, great. Very, very good though. It's important to understand that because trust me, especially if you're in relationships, calling your significant other on their little white lies not good. <laughs> not good. Um, I would like to know, like, what kind of lies, like, should we act on every lie that's being told to us, or is it better to let some small ones go? Cool. Oh. Oh. Um, I haven't really thought about it. I didn't really know what I was uh, going to encounter here, so I just thought I'd show up and... Okay. You mentioned red flags, so you know you have your spidey senses. You mm -hmm. feel you have some intuition, you have that gut feeling, right? Mm -hmm. I want to know the, the body language. What body. am I looking at okay. to see the red flags? Cool. We're going to increase my sensory acuity, be able to detect them. right there is the single biggest indicator of success in just about any field of endeavor. Being aware of what's going on and being able to calibrate what it means. Okay. Um, me and Josh, um, I just wanted, you mentioned, uh, you know, being able to call somebody out on it when you do detect it. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in um, kind of tactful ways to call people out you know, in heated environments or, you know, just kind of know when to, you know, when's a good time that you should probably drop this and come back to it at a different time or okay. when is it a good time to move forward and say, hey, you know what, this is BS, you know, just kind of, kind of the dealing with it. All right. You know, very good. Thank you. Um, well, I had a recent client that I wasn't able to make progress with, with, and my perception was that she was not lying to herself or to me about what she wanted, and so uh, I think if I had a little bit more, I could have maybe moved her along a little bit better. Remember something, sometimes clients don't really want to know. Yeah. They really don't, and, and we're going to talk about that, uh, especially some of the examples that I'll be giving. See, the easiest way to lie is when you have someone who actually wants to believe your lie. 
who has a vested interest in not investigating further. And we are all guilty of this at one time or another. Okay? We want to believe them because the pain of, of, of having to confront them and go deeper and find out we were lied to is just it's too much. They run away from it. So, who, sir, what's your name? Matthew. Matthew, welcome. Hi. What do you want to take home today? Well, I'm actually just kind of curious about the theories and the techniques okay. behind it. And this young lady who didn't seem to think I saw her sneak in. Hi. Hey. I'm just saying, get up. Yeah, just curious. Okay. Good. So now we know. Okay, well, let's talk about this. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I missed yeah. you. You were high. <laughs> you went stealth on me. I would uh, like to improve my interpersonal skills. I'll tell you what. It's ironic. But being good at lie detection will force you to improve your interpersonal skills because of the lie detection. <laughs> it won't actually, it'll actually make you actually more. People, when people, by the way, don't tell people you know this stuff. Never tell people you know this. Okay? Because it's, it's just like telling somebody you're, you teach persuasion and covert hypnosis for a living. The minute you say that, every day, the walls go up, and they already, already immediately you're Darth Snyder. Okay? So there are certain skills that it's okay to talk about, certain skills that are best kept only with you. So that being said, let's jump into the most fundamental aspect of lie detection. What the heck is a lie? That seems like a pretty basic question, right? But what is a lie? Covert attempt at manipulation. Covert attempt at manipulation. Okay. All right, great. Lily, you had a hand raised. Um, uh, purposeful misrepresentation of what a person a purposeful misrepresentation. Now they're only hypnotherapy right out the window. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because that's what we do for a living, isn't it? Inaccuracies. Inaccuracies. <laughs> there's something else behind this? Can you tell a lie and not know it? Sure. All lies fall into one of three categories. The one that most people are concerned with is the one that happen, tends to happen the least, actually. Those are lies of falsification. Somebody is blatantly telling you that the water on falling on your feet is not him peeing on your leg, it's raining. Okay? <laughs> I know I use graphic examples because they stick in your head better. But the truth is, that's what all falsification is, is telling you something that is directly contra to the real the truth. Usually, also, the easiest ones to detect. Now, while I'm on this subject, you need to also divide lies into one of two subcategories within all three of these. I call them hard lies and easy lies. We'll get back to that, but I want to cover the three primary categories so you guys can understand this. What's, anybody have an idea what the second category of lies might be? Omission. Omission. Very much. It's not what you said, it's what you didn't say. The vast majority of the lies that really piss us off tend to be these. And I imagine some are deliberate and some are unintentional. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's going to be your job. A lot of it, as you're going deeper into the, the aspects of detecting deceit, is what's the intention behind the action. Okay. Also, you're going to find out that there's there are certain behaviors that people engage in that will give you a false positive. They will, they, will, they will send up all kinds of red flags when, in fact, the person is being 
blatantly truthful with you, except their natural physiological response to the situation sends up all kinds of red flags. Now, those of you who are interested in relationship work, and in order to having a relationship, come on in. You're going to find out. Pick a seat anywhere. It's okay. We won't tell. Okay. Um, you're going to find out really, really quick that um, this will happen a lot. Okay. I kind of got off track there. But. So lies of omission. There's, and then there's the third one. Did you know there was a third one? Yes. Did you have <laughs> Good. He's paying attention. This one was the one that really kind of blew me away. This is the one where you really, you know, when first we practiced, you know, what a tangled web we weave when first we practiced to deceive. These are called lies of influence. Okay. Lies of influence are the most challenging to catch because there's a tendency, because of the way they're structured, to create tremendous credibility at the same time. We'll get into some of those. Uh, why don't we get into them now, as a matter of fact, since I'm on that subject. Uh, by the way, for those of you who really want to go deep, be prepared to spend a lot of money, but probably one of the best books you can pick up right now is called Spy the Lie. It's relatively new. Uh, written by some ex-CIA lie detection experts. I found it to be very well written. It's not real high in terms of jargon. Like when I was studying kinesic interview and interrogation, you had in all kinds of weird jargon and things like that. Um, but I think this is very user-friendly. Uh, any books by Paul Ekman, whether you, if you're going to deal with emotions or people, worth their weight in gold. I took a class with him. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Paul Ekman. He was also the primary consultant for the show Lie to Me. Mm. Obviously, he didn't see the, the cancellation coming up. Who was <laughs> <laughs> the author of that book? This one is uh, by Philip Houston, Michael Floyd, and Susan Carnicero. Now, if you really want to go deep down the, the lie detection, yes, I have books everywhere, the lie detection rabbit hole, one of the guys that I studied when I was uh, doing kinesic interro uh, interview and interrogation in college was a guy named Stan B. Walters. And they call him the lie guy. He's probably written and published more information about kinesic interview and interrogation than anybody out there. Um, and I'm really, I was really jazzed when I actually found a small little home study course of his. So, um, but lies of influence are basically deception cues where the person will give you a direct falsification and then he will deflect you, she will deflect you by calling attention to, uh, no, I didn't steal that piece of jewelry. I've been, a, I've been the maintenance man here 25 years. Why would I jeopardize my retirement for that? Right? The other, the other power with lies of influence is the repetition effect. What they'll do is they'll deflect you. They'll they'll give you they'll very briefly deny the allegation. Usually, not always. There's there's about 21 different tactics that people can use in pretty much any combination. We don't have time to cover every single one. I'll try to fly through the laundry list and give you some examples where I can field questions. But the truth of the matter is, this is a very deep subject and. Um, by and large, if you're if you're focusing on the verbal component to catch the lie, you're wading in the deepest waters. There's way too many things that can sidetrack you. And, and we'll talk about the order that you should actually be paying to paying attention to in terms of uh, deception behaviors. But lies, these even these three categories are actually well, your stress responses. Fear, anger, sadness, aggression. Okay. Lies, although it seems weird, are not actually natural for us. We have to think about them, which gives us brings us to the concept, the concept of hard lies and easy lies. Hard lies have to do with lying on the spot or concealing or misdirecting emotions that are being felt at the moment. Usually, in terms of a hard lie, you're dealing with emotions on the spot. You're dealing with not having any time to prepare a story. The more time somebody has to prepare a story, the more acting experience they have, the 
the less they move, the more they move towards this category. Hard lies are usually things that are done face to face in the moment. Those are the ones where you'll see the most deception leakage. Deception leakage are stress responses that happen as a deviation from what we call a baseline. Okay. Starting to sound a little technical, so let me just back up a little bit. Am I losing anybody so far? Was Eric? When Eric was talking about um, sensory acuity and calibration skills, okay, what does that really mean? It was people who were not Eric. And calibration skills. What do those really mean? Eye movements. Okay, that's an example of a, something you might calibrate. But what does it really mean? Their, their physical body response to the stressful things in your mind, okay. which is like uh, simple, um, simple. Okay. Rather than go around the entire room, let's just put it, let's just make it real simple. Things you can perceive and what they need. Okay. By the way, when I'm writing on the board, I'm not writing for you, I'm writing for me. This is how I process. Okay. You're... You can tell because we can't read that. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm horrible that way. Um, but I did invest in a brand new microphone because I just have to have good sound quality. Things that we can perceive and what they mean. Now, all deception indicators, well, first of all, there's no such thing as a deception indicator. No single characteristic trait of any kind signals a lie definitively. Things you perceive and what they mean. In other words, you have to be able to calculate change. Change from what? The norm. This is where the rub comes in. Because until you establish what their baseline is, that's the technical term, what their baseline expressiveness is, their baseline stress level is, you can't accurately begin to collect data and figure out what it means. Understand that? Also, you have to remember something else. The person you're interacting with is watching you at the same time you're watching them. Therefore, your responses will affect their responses. The first thing we have to do whenever we're going to interact with somebody is we must determine where are they at right now. If we've, if we've known this person for a significant amount of time, that's usually pretty easy. Moms do this to their kids all the time because they know when, mom, when the kid's telling a lie because you see it every day. Okay? Any deviation from the baseline or the norm is an indicator of stress levels. Period. Deceptive, deception leakage or deception indicators do not begin to become relevant until they appear in what we call clusters. Okay? A cluster, again, technical term, is any two or more cues appearing within five seconds of each other. Questions on that so far? Okay. So, what are some things that we can begin to do what can we start to pay attention to? Well, we can start paying attention to their verbal responses which is usually the first thing and the primary thing most of us do pay attention to is verbal responses. Excuse me, do you mean the content or the... Content, usually specifically. Are we still on hard lies? Uh, hard lies are basically what happens when you're trying to mask something you're feeling in the moment or make up a story on the spot. The more you have to improvise with zero preparation time or at higher levels of stress or emotional 
feelings under the surface, the more harder flying becomes. Because the greater the level of stress, the less control you have over your body. And this is important because if you want to get reliable indicators of deception, you have to amplify the stress level. Okay? Which means you may have to be confrontational if you really want to get people to the point where they're popping. You know what I'm saying? That's why I say this will force you to become really good at your social skills because this will break every kind of rapport you can possibly imagine. All right? But this is, in, in, in kinesic interview and interrogation, that's what we're going to do. We're going to, there's different types of emotional responses that, that we have. You have anger, there's depression, denial, acceptance, bargaining. These are all things that the, the subject is going to engage in based on the current level of stress that they're feeling. Okay? But remember that for most people, just the act of lying, especially if they know they're lying, they have fear of being caught, they have the, the, the stress of trying to come up with the lie and trying to keep their story straight, that's already three strikes against them. There will be some deception leakage. Yes? How are salespeople successful? I mean, how does this play into salespeople? Well, assuming the salesperson lying to you. Right. But again, I, I think most I think most salespeople are actually fairly honest. There's there's bad eggs in every crowd. But the more a person can convince themselves of the truth of something, the more congruent they become. In NLP terms, we're looking for incongruity. We're looking for mismatches between the words coming out of their mouth, their facial expressions, their body language, and their hand language, their legs. In terms, of, in terms of studying body language, we're going to look at the face. We're going to look at the arms and shoulders. Torso, a little bit. But legs, legs, nobody pays attention to legs. Legs will tell you a lot. When we're dealing with people, most liars spend most of their time on their facial expressions and, their vo and the words coming out of their mouth. Some pay more attention to their tonality, but depending on the stress level, it'll still slip. Make sense? Higher pitch, I bet, is more lying. Higher, no. No? No. Higher pitch means more stress. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah. Big distinction. Yeah. Which brings us to two fallacies that could, in fact, trip you up. They can be reliable indicators that some deception is going on. It can also just mean they're stressed out for some other reason. One is called the Brokaw effect, named after the TV anchor Tom Brokaw. <laughs> When asked about, when uh, Paul Ackman was doing an interview with him about uh, you know, how he figures out if somebody's lying, he said one of the first things I look for is when I ask him a question, is their level of response go from very simple, very direct, to very long, complex uh, explanations. It's, I call it a tirade. Sometimes there's emotion with that. Sometimes it's just all of a sudden the explanation gets way detailed, way out of proportion. Now, the problem with this is that Brokaw would take that as an indicator of lying. It's not. It's an indicator of stress, okay, of defensiveness, not necessarily lying. It could be. doesn't mean it is. The other, the other effect is called the Othello effect. Again, a behavior that could be masked, that would, can be perceived as being deceitful when, in fact, it's only a stress response. In the Othello effect, just like in the show, the, the play, somebody's confronted with something that stresses them out, and all of a sudden, because they're being confronted, because they're having an emotional, intense emotional experience, they start to have stress indicators merge. The person on the other end perceives that as validation that their accusation was in fact true when it wasn't. It was only a stress response. And so you've convicted the person and they're not guilty. Okay? Mm -hmm. it's, an, it's an exaggerated stress response. It's like a lady doth protest too much, methinks, kind of a thing. And there's actually different layers to that. When we get back to lies of, of influence, um, we'll talk about some examples you might hear. But again, just remember, these will in fact happen. As you're confronting people, as you're questioning people, as they feel more and more interrogated, for lack of a better word, their stress levels will begin to increase. Okay? 
but these are only single indicators. Nothing begins to mean anything until they start happening in twos and threes and fours. And again, you have a five second window when you're doing this. Okay? Now, one of my favorite body language indicators if you're going to start doing deception, aside from getting a baseline, is pupil dilation. Now, pupil dilation in and of itself does not indicate deception. Okay? It indicates towards and away from, what I call towards and away from positive stress or negative stress. When the pupils dilate, it's generally a positive response or extreme fear. So when I tell them, when I teach my guys and, and ladies about attraction and, and relationships, I tell them unless they're shaking in their shoes and leaving a little puddle under the bench, if the eyes are dilated and she's not running in terror, or he's not running in terror, they're into you. Okay? When we see something we like, whether it's something on, on a piece of paper, or something in a store window, or another human being, the pupils dilate. Okay? When you have extreme fear, the pupils also dilate, because we need to see how the hell to get out of there. Okay? So, if you're in an... I hope you guys are never in a situation where you have to put somebody through the kind of stress that a lot of these interviewers use, okay? But if you see those pupils dilate, why are they having that extreme fear? If, there's, if you're not standing over them with an M60 or a butcher knife, there's probably something they're afraid you're going to find out. I mean, you should dig deeper, not necessarily assume right away that they're lying, okay? Think of everything you're doing as a quest for confirmation rather than judgment, okay? So, pupil dilation is one of the things I like to look at. I call it pupil dance, because as you interact with a human being, as they're listening to what you say, as the interaction progresses, the more they like you, the more the pupils will begin to grow. As they move away or have a aversive response to what you're saying, you'll see pupils dilate. When people are analyzing and mismatching what you're saying, trying to find holes in your argument, you'll see the pupils dilate. Okay. If the eyes stop moving, they're inside their own head talking to themselves as a rule. Yes? So can we say that um, like the pupils dilating would have to do with stress? Then Everything we're talking about is, is about stress. You either have positive stress or they, negative stress. When they grow, that would be like a sign of relaxation or comfort? It could be relaxation, but it could be also be arousal, physical, sexual arousal. Pupils get huge in cases of intense emotion, intense positive emotions. In fact, they get so huge that the irises disappear, actually. Okay? But this is a very useful indicator. Okay? If you, and, but, but it only becomes useful if you determine what's the norm first. I do this to my wife all the time. I used to drive her insane. <laughs> because socially, we're taught not to hurt people's feelings. And that's the key. Just because you perceive a mistruth or a lie omission or even a lie influence, it may not be appropriate to call attention to it at that moment. Right? You know, the old you give, some, give somebody enough rope, they'll hang themselves. Right? Okay. Well, it's fun to go out and throw your Jedi lightning bolts around, zapping people in with, the, with, with truth serum every time. It's usually not socially advantageous for you to do that. Okay? So we talked about verbals. What are verbals? Verbals are any words that come out of their mouth. I would like to talk about these last because they are easily the most convoluted. But some of the things that are nonverbal, which is basically anything coming out of their mouth that has nothing to do with the word itself or the meaning of the word itself, those begin to become useful. One of the things we want to look for is the use of non-words. Stutters. Pauses. Again, only useful if you've already calibrated what their normal way of speaking and of communicating is. You ask somebody, did you take the last cookie out of my jar? And they go, uh, no. <laughs> how, many, how many cues did I just give you? <laughs> least two, right? I gave you four or five, actually. My eyes went up. I went, 
paused, went ah, used a non-word, and then if you listen to my tonality, it went up, didn't it? Nope. Okay. That's how fast five five cues can appear. Simple. Now imagine when you're having a conversation with somebody, and it's something you're really passionate about, you're really inspired by. Imagine how challenging these things can be. Okay. So. Pick one or you know one one or two areas of the body that you want to begin to work with, and become really good at those. And then when those are kind of on autopilot, where you can pretty, be pretty reliable with those, then start adding other stuff in. Because after a while, things will just kind of happen in gestalts. They'll just start jumping out at you. But the most reliable and useful, non-manipulatable by most people, indicator of sternological arousal is pupil dilation. Yes, yes, Are you going to get into uh, pathological liars? Pathological liars are kind of outside of the purview of this because most of them don't have any idea what reality is and they don't care. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to exhibit a lot of these stress responses unless you sit them down in the chair and then you start calling them on it. Uh, which I... Yes, sir. Okay. Which I did that one time. Exactly. They're professional liars. Con men, professional liars, people who are used to prevaricating or prefabricating for a living. Con men, enemy soldiers, spies, huh? Boyfriends. Boyfriend. <laughs> you might have to change your calibration skills on a boyfriend. Okay. No. As a rule, no. No. But you have to get a baseline first. Most people don't have the level of physiological control. To, to influence their pupil dilation unless they have a strong background in method acting. Are they just tuning into their story and they're like leaving it Whatever the level of physiological arousal they're experiencing, the emotion that they're feeling will impact their level of expressiveness, verbally and non-verbally. That's why when Ekman was doing most of his research on facial expressions, when he wasn't using you know, people in a natural setting, he was using actors trained in method. Because the whole process behind method is about accessing legitimate emotional states from your past and then amplifying them and using that as your mode of expression, which makes your behaviors verbally and non-verbally authentic and congruent. Okay? It's important to understand. The more somebody can get into character, the more they can begin to become convinced and believe what they're saying, the more convincing the lie. The closer to the actual truth the lie is, the more hard, even harder to detect. That's the most powerful lie, the one that's closest to the truth. It's just one or two degrees off. And so you have to be really, really aware of all of the, you know, I'm not trying to overwhelm you or, or dissuade you from, from going down this, this path, but I want you to understand, let's try and, if you're not aware of it, it's gonna screw us up at some point in the process. Does that make sense? Okay. So. Non-words, uh, uh, er, e, uh, right? Stutters, slips of the tongue. Freudian slips, they like to call them. These all represent stress indicators. When they start to appear, in clusters, now the flag should start going up. And the cluster has to appear consistently. That means every time something is, is initiated that would provoke a stress response, you get a similar repetition of behavior. The more repetition of behavior you get, the more reliable the indicator becomes. That make sense? Okay. Um, next thing we look at By the way, this is not exhaustive, but if I give you more than this, you're going to get—you're not going to use any of them. But these are the ones you're most commonly going to see. Questions on this so far? Yeah, I forgot. What did you say? The Othello. The Othello principle is where you accuse somebody of something, or you, you question them. You're trying to figure, basically accuse them of lying, and their stress response is so exaggerated that it gives them the appearance of lying when they're actually just trying to defend themselves. 
Okay, all of a sudden deception. Stress indicators are misperceived as deception. These are deception indicators. Okay. Yes. Good question. Um, when you are like dealing with this stuff face to face with people, how do you? You got any tips on how to control your own state? Because it's usually like high stress on both ends. Mm -hmm. You know how. And I find myself like, you know, like I'll find myself just tensing up, you know, or I do certain things or I just get quiet, mm -hmm. you know, and I would like to be more, I guess you'd say, like in control of my own sure. responses in these kind of situations. You can't, you can't do lie detection if you're not in control of yourself. There's too much nonverbal information going back and forth between the two systems. You know, that just reminded me, many years ago, I had a, a guy call me up. He said he had to take a lie detector test, and he wanted to know with hypnosis, could I help him to pull the lie detector test? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I didn't take and you can, lie. actually. But, yeah. Um, I understand that just shaking your leg could be enough. Yes, it's huge. You have to remember something. Attraction is a stress response. Every indicator that guys and girls look for on each other to find out if they're into you or not are stress responses. They're just generated from a positive state. Okay? Everything human beings, every form of body language is in response to some level or some change in their stress level, positive or negative. She's got this permanent... <laughs> you have a question. What is it? No, I just... Well, it makes it hard to... If, if, if you're in a situation like that where you're not expecting someone to be lying, there's no competition, and each physical thing that you see looks like a stress response, mm -hmm. then how do you then not ensure that that is lies and instead it's just a positive stress response? Okay. Context, for one. Context is king. You, have, you cannot divorce the responses from the context. Period. I wish we could take these things out in isolation say, okay, this is this and this. No. It's all based on the situation you're in at the time. If you're having a heated argument and all of a sudden he's, he gets big, his eyes get really, these people get really big and wide, well, he's either about to, to kill you out of fear or make love to you. <laughs> not, you know, it's just, but what's the context? The context is going to give you a frame to put around it, but you have to be careful. <clears throat> okay. Again, we have to use some level of judgment. Getting back to his question, did I answer your question? I don't know if it's direct enough. Yes. Okay. Definitely. I understand that. Definitely. No, I understand that about context. Yeah, you, have to, you have to look at the context. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit in a challenging situation here because most of this is based on a very confrontational, we're in an interrogation room or some kind of a negotiation and the stakes are high. Most of us are not going to deal with, with that level of stress. So how do we make this more pedestrian or civilian, lack of a better word? Um, but did that help you with legs? Yes. Okay. Also, keep, a, keep an eye out on, I, I covered this in the attraction seminar, keep an eye on where the feet are pointing. You'll see this, especially if you're in somebody who's in hot seat, like his boss is right here, and the door's over there, and they're, they're trying to get their feet pointing towards the door as quick as possible. Okay. You'll see this a lot in uh, in the bars and stuff like that. You'll see people. You'll see a guy trying his damnedest to talk to a, a a girl, and he's he's you know full frontal, and she's like, <laughs> you know, and she's trying to be polite, and ninety percent of her is out the door, you know. These things will happen in situations where you're confronting people as well. One of the biggest things that we I use, and it's not a deception, it's not an indicator of deception, although it could be, are body tilts or postural tilts. If, if if somebody likes what they're seeing or likes what you're saying, you'll see a subtle forward lean. If you look at me from the side, if this is neutral, you'll see this this subtle forward lean. If they don't like it, if they're trying to retreat from what's being said, you'll see this. Okay, and you can see, and you can watch this happen as people are, are involved in conversations, and the, the conversation starts to go south. You'll see people start to back up. You'll see people start to get distance from the thing that's causing the stress. These indicators that we're talking about are ways that we try to deal with our own level of internal stress and the stress on the outside. That's why having control of the stress levels in the room or in the interaction are so important. 
The more, the more wood you can throw on the fire, the harder your body be, becomes to control. The more you give them the ability to be in control, the less reliable the deception indicators become because they become smaller. So your job, if you want to get people, you know, flagging themselves, jump their stress level. Could you, can you uh, comment on a therapeutic situation, how I might use that? Stems. Hmm? Stems. Stems technique. One of that leads us to something called microexpressions, which actually would, that's, that's facial stuff, so maybe we'll just go into that right away. Um, you have certain types of body language. Ekman's identified it, um, so I'll use his terminologies. Uh, we have what we call emblems. You have uh, illustrators. <clears throat> microexpressions. What we, what he calls them squelched, squelched expressions. Now, in terms of therapy, as you continue to talk about their problem, pay attention to what they do with their hands, what they do with their feet, how their body contorts or doesn't contort. These are all indicators of ever-increasing levels of stress. When I'm doing, I do a very unique form of, of hypnotherapy called abreactive hypnotherapy, which means, in a nutshell, if somebody comes to me because they have chronic asthma, I'm going to induce the asthma attack in order to fix it. So I'm real good at giving people stress. Okay? But the stress that you initiate or the stress response that you, that you amplify is a direct connection to where the problem is, the unconscious or neurological level. So it becomes clinically useful that way. The more somebody tries to hide or deny it, the more their stress level is going to jump, especially if you continue to ask those pain points. That's when you start calibrating on their tonality, the words they lean on, things like that. Because as you use them, every time you use a word that has an emotional charge to it within their system, they're going to have an amplified stress response, either positive or negative. That's why whenever possible, use their words. Okay, Or deliberately misuse their words. If you want to get more stress. Again, this becomes an art as well. So, emblems. Emblems are the unique socially programmed lexicon of gestures that we use. Now, how do we use them in terms of lie detection or in terms of subconscious emotional response? Paul Eichmann was talking about one of the first, <clears throat> the first uh, experiments he did on emblems. Now, by the emblems are things like this. Okay. Your driving finger, you know. Right? Now, an emblem becomes an emblem when it's delivered partially and outside of the field of presentation. The field of presentation is here to here, usually actually between the neck and the hips. So he actually hired one of his, his co-professors at the uh, at the college or university where he was Undergrading or graduating, or I don't know, to to grill these prospective psychology students on uh, their career paths, where they wanted to go, and whatever they answered, they couldn't answer it right. So he would basically start, you know, say, so where do you want to major in when you when you graduate college? Oh, I want to go into research. Oh, you don't want to care. You don't care about the people who really need the help. You want to hide in the laboratory and just kind of crunch numbers, all things like that. You do it for three or five minutes, and he would videotape all the interactions. Well, he got this one girl in there. And uh, he was watching it, and he saw the most amazing thing. The girl, for, the, for almost after the first minute to two minutes, was giving the professor the bird through the entire interview, just like I'm giving it to you. It's <laughs> <laughs> delivered outside the field of presentation. It's always, it's never orthodox. Okay? But these are things you will, in fact, begin to pick up. Okay? Okay? Very cool. So there's about, according to Eggman, there's about 60, in the, in the American lexicon of emblems, there's about 60 different gestures that we use. An emblem becomes important as an unconscious response when it's delivered outside of the field of presentation. 
Many times, the person doing it doesn't even know they're doing it. Okay? Again, add that to your list of possible clusters. You know, if all of a sudden you're talking to somebody, their voice level rises, they shift back, and they cross their arms, and you see a little finger peeking out at you? Now you have a flag, right? We have fun, but these are things that people do. Right. One of my favorites is the incongruent knots. At the beginning of almost every session I teach, I go, several rules. This means yes, this means no, this means oh shit, please don't call on me. Right? Someday they'll laugh at that, I don't know. Or I say, this means yes, this means no, there will be a test. Okay? And you'll find, more often than not, that people are true to that. However, many times the words coming out of their mouth will not match the nodding. It's like, I really love Chinese food, and I can eat it every day. You know, it's just, I can't fly it. Well, I take issue with one of those. I know you always do. <laughs> okay, so, uh, and in fact, I think it happened a minute ago, a few minutes ago, when she, you asked her something, I forgot what it was, and she said, like this, and you imitated that. Mm -hmm. I have perceived... When they're going like this, when they're meaning yes, it's like, you won't even believe how much I mean that. Mm -hmm. So there's two... There's still a negation going on. It's just not necessarily the topic you're thinking of. And I covered that. I discovered that, too. Also, one of the things that happen is many times, the, especially when we get on this, the subject of micro-expressions. Micro-expressions indicate one of two things or both. A, suppressed emotion or repressed emotion. And if it's repressed, they don't know it. We'll talk about that in a minute. But yes, in, in some cases, not enough to be statistically useful, um, they will be disagreeing with something in what you're saying. There will be some level of moving away from or aversion in response to it. When you get inconsistencies like that, that's where it become, becomes a point of exploration. Almost always. Almost always. Yes. Is that like jaw quenching? Jaw quenching can be a very strong sign of, well, it is, it is tension side, but what does it occur in conjunction with that makes it relevantly useful? What is it, micro As a rule, just the jaw expression? No. But it is a tension response. A micro expression is a full expression that takes place within about a fifth of a second or fifteenth of a second. Okay. Uh, contrast that with squelched expressions. Squelched expressions are emotions that we're feeling in the moment we sense it's coming and we chop it off in mid-stride. Okay. A micro-expression is a complete expression of one of the primal emotions. Anger, fear, sadness, surprise, contempt, and joy. Okay. Those are the primary emotions that all human beings experience cross-culturally, cross-racially. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, could be, it, it could be, uh, you know, uh, as they're talking about something terrible, a smile flashes across their face for a fraction of a second. All while they're espousing how sorry they are for this person. And inside they're rejoicing. Okay. Uh, we've all seen squelched expressions where something bad happens to somebody and it's obviously hysterical to you and you're trying to be politically correct. Right? Yeah. Right? Or, you know, somebody broke wind and it was you and you don't want anybody. I see we've had a few. There's a contest. I pay money. <laughs> So micro-expressions are very useful. Most people cannot see them, but with, a couple, with just an hour or two of training, uh, with several hundred photos, you can begin to actually pick them up pretty consistently. Okay. Um, Paul Eggman, if you go to his site, paulegman.com, I think he actually has, uh, you can actually join his membership site and actually get access to his facial training software, which I think is very much worthwhile if you're going to be dealing with people Ever. <laughs> Illustrators. Illustrators are cool. Now, 
The thing about emblems, illustrators, microexpressions, and squelched expressions is, in fact, the frequency will change as the stress level changes. As a rule, as the stress level increases, emblems will tend to become more dominant, especially if they're aimed towards deception or higher levels of stress. Emblems will become more blatant. They'll become more frequent. Contrast that with illustrators. Illustrators are meaningless movements that actually add emphasis to the words being spoken. So if you're Italian, you're going to do this a lot. <laughs> right? However, as a person stress level goes up and they move towards deception, illustrators tend to decrease. Now, how do you know if an illustrator is increasing or decreasing? Baseline. You've got to have a baseline. None of this will help you a bit if you don't have something to compare it against. That makes sense? Is this helpful? Useful? Yeah. Okay. But anytime you see somebody talking and they're gesturing wildly, on a kinesic deception or stress calibration level, they have, and they're only they're only useful in relationship to the speed and the way the person's expressing themselves verbally. However, neurolinguistically, they have a meaning to the nervous system that is useful. Okay, they actually do, in fact, indicate how somebody is creating the structure of that experience in their own mind. Which means, if they understand it, we can use it. But that's a different class. Oh, such a tea. <laughs> so, emblems are what? What are emblems? The finger. They're going to remember the finger forever. But they're any culturally programmed gesture. Remember, this means something completely different in Europe and Asia than it does here. Okay? They're cultural. Eggman did a lot of work on delineating between what is a culturally programmed nonverbal response versus what is a culturally programmed one. My suggestion is you learn the, the universal human expressions first and master those, because everything else is going to be a variation, and it's going to be culturally dependent. Okay? So that's my recommendation. Take it or leave it. Um, Take a five-minute break, come back, and we'll go somewhere else. All right. So, we've talked about verbal indicators. We've talked about nonverbals, right? <coughs> a couple other things I want to mention about verbal or nonverbal stress indicators. As a rule, pitch and tempo are highly responsive to increasing levels of stress. They're probably some of the easiest things to calibrate. So, but in order to calibrate, you have to have one, this one the baseline. Okay, so when you talk to somebody, you have to calibrate what their current level of expression is, and then calibrate, calibrate deviance, change. People who are stressed tend to raise the pitch of their voice. They get much higher like this. What? Right? The state that you're not happy with to remove to being free of it. Suffering is what happens when you run away from the problem and it keeps following you wherever you go. Most people will not show up at a hypnotherapist's doorstep until they've suffered enough. Okay? By the time they reach most of our, our offices, they've been to the medical doctor, the psychologist, the, uh, the psychic, the witch doctor, the shaman, you know, the voodoo guy down the street, usually they, they show up on us because they can't find which doctor or voodoo doctor in the, in the phone book, so they just show up. And we fix them, more often than not, you know, provided we get the right information and we have the right set of techniques. But as a rule, hypnotherapy has a better hit rate than most other forms of psycho-emotional intervention, by far. So, be that as it may, that's my, my sales pitch for us. But, Anyway, that's lies of omission. You want to neutralize the distractors or the deflectors, lies of influence. That's what we just covered, and the strategy for dealing with it. Because I couldn't give you this big three-headed monster without giving you some way to start to deal with it. Okay. As a rule, you'll almost never go wrong with finding something 
within what anybody's saying that you can't agree with. Sometimes you'll have to chunk up. Sometimes you'll have to chunk down. But the moment they perceive some level of agreement, it takes a lot of the power out of their, their willingness to fight. It takes a lot of the fight out of them. Okay, not sure exactly why. It could be any number of reasons, but as a rule, that's how it works. Yeah. Can you repeat that? That great you just said about what takes the power out of you. Yeah. Finding anything within the crux of their argument that you can agree with. You know, if someone says, um, I really hate Chinese food. I don't like to eat at places like that. God knows what's in it. Blah, blah, blah. Right? You say, you know what? I completely agree that sometimes you just don't know what's in Chinese. So, like, just kind of, you know, like an agreement kind of neutralizes. Now, did I anyway say I, I don't, I don't like. Thank you for listening to the Unlimited Influence. Reprogram your subconscious mind with Dr. David Snyder. Stay updated by visiting at www.davidsnydernlp.com and follow social media accounts. If you want to reprogram your subconscious mind, don't hesitate to call me at 858-282-4663 and we can talk more about what your mind has to offer.